All right, what's poppin', everyone? Welcome back. Actually, this is the first welcome. <laughs> welcome to our very first episode <laughs> of the Zoomers podcast. Um, my name is Derek Way. I am one of your co-hosts for the show. And basically, uh, what this podcast is will, is is me and a bunch of my friends who we grew up together for quite some time now. So we whether we knew each other since elementary school. Or middle school but we've all grown up and gone to school together kind of from the education system into college and now we're graduated and we're working adults and we're trying to navigate this adulthood and what is that and so what this podcast is is we thought it would be really cool to have this space to open up conversations for us to kind of further our learning while also sharing that in this journey with everyone who's interested curious to learn more about how you can build your wealth um, our opinions and differing thoughts on kind of investing lifestyles and so this podcast is kind of just an open space for us to really share and kind of collaborate and form a community um, in terms of these topics and as a brief introduction for myself um, I am probably the I am the youngest of us three <laughs> <laughs> not probably uh, I graduated in 2020 so during the pandemic and so I studied mechanical engineering at the University of Washington and so it was pretty rough finding a job. But after I did, I now work at a really big aerospace company. And I do some analysis with composites, um, basically like carbon fiber, anything that they build planes on, even aluminum. Um, and yeah, and so kind of with this time before, you know, after graduating and starting my job, I had a bunch of time to kind of just stay at home and start learning. And so that's a big bulk of where I started learning about investing and financial independence. And I became really inspired and motivated to kind of achieve financial independence because I feel that that is just something that will bring me a lot of freedom, a lot of happiness to be able to do what I want. Um, and so that's kind of why I really appreciate my other two friends who will introduce themselves later. Um, you know, just kind of being here with me along this journey. Yeah. So I'll pass it off to, one of you all. Go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> all right. Awesome. I'm uh, Andrew. I'm one of the three co-hosts of this podcast. I am currently located in Vancouver, Canada. I moved here after I graduated from the University of Washington, and I work as a software developer for a hybrid cloud company. I recently also got uh, introduced to investing in the last past year during the pandemic. Um, happened to just have the right people around me, whether it's my my dad's peers or also just my own peers that um, are professionals or non-professionals, but are interested. So I've also been learning uh, quite a bit this last past year, and I'm glad that I could share this journey with my two friends here. Um, Woo! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I'll pass it off to Kevin. Okay. I'm Kevin Huynh. Okay, don't look that up. There's probably a lot of Kevin Wins, but <laughs> I am from the University of Washington as well. I, um, after graduating about a year and a half ago, I started working at a cloud company. We do some stuff in the cloud. Um, so other than that, I started investing about somewhere in college just because I didn't know where to put my money when I was making little bits of money. So I wanted to do something with it to make it grow. So 
I look towards stocks to do that. And then now I got some friends that are finally back in the stock market with me. So we can kind of share this experience together. You should have encouraged us earlier, dude. I've always talked to Andrew about it, but he was never down. I was broke. It wasn't that I wasn't down. I was broke. (laughs) So, yeah. So before we get into everything, quick disclaimer. Yeah. We're purely for entertainment purposes. Don't take any of our advice as financial advice. advice so if you want actual advice go to a financial advisor like andrew has but you know (laughs) have fun listening to us talk about stuff about life and financials okay go ahead Derek. sweet yeah so i think uh for our first episode we're just gonna kind of talk about ets and the different investing styles that we know of currently and maybe we can even shed light on what we personally think of each one and what we are doing um, as our own styles. And so, yeah, to kind of start off for me, I, I'm big on like index investing. Um, the first book I read was Quit Like a Millionaire by like Christy Shen, basically. And that book is entirely about building a million dollar portfolio entirely off of ETFs or index funds. And and they did it in like nine years. And so that like captivated my attention. And I was like, how do you do this? I want to learn more. Um, and so, yeah, so a big a big influence of mine is there. And as I'm going through this journey of investing and learning how to grow wealth, I've started learning about other styles of investing. And I think Andrew told me one time that there's literally not one direct path to our financial freedom goal, financial independence. There's many ways to get there. And um This is just one way that has made sense to me. And so that's what I've been sticking with. Um, And basically that strategy of index investing is um, the index, right? So it's something that tracks basically the stock market, tracks a specific sector or tracks like, you know, certain amount of things and it goes up and it has a select companies that it follows and it kind of consolidates down to one point and it can go up and down. Um, But basically I have basically an investment in the United States total market. So anything from really big companies like household names to small companies that we might not have heard of. Um, I also invest in an index that tracks international markets, emerging markets, also real estate, um, treasury inflation protection securities, and also just kind of bonds. And so these are kind of the different asset classes that I put uh, my money in when I want to I have some left over and I want to invest. Yeah. And generally, I guess for me, I think the returns aren't as like flashy as like picking a single one. Like I always hear about people picking individual stocks and like, Oh, this is like a good stock pick. Cause like, it just like tripled in value. Um, whereas for me, it's like, because each index fund like has over either like 500, if it's like the S and P 500 or like over thousands, um, if it's tracking like a total market sample, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not going up like crazy amounts because, there's winners and losers within that but yeah so why do you the, why do you yeah. prefer doing index investing over like picking your own stocks i prefer it because to me like this uncertainty is really like a big risk in mm-hmm. terms of how i think of things and because i don't work at all these individual companies there's not a lot that i can control in terms of how that company does and sometimes it's not even the company's fault that its stock prices drops or it doesn't do well in like the future. Um, a big part of it probably is, but 
but you know, I don't, I, I think a lot of it's out of my control. And the idea that the analogy that someone told me that made sense was that when you're betting on an index, it's like you're betting on the, the casino, like the house. Whereas like, if you were betting on like an individual stock, it's like you're, you're betting on an outcome of one thing, or like you're betting on one horse winning that race. And, and so to me, it, it just like made sense to me that I would rather bet on like the entire like house rather than like one single horse winning that race. Cause you know, maybe like that horse is primed to be the winner, but it doesn't come out to be that way. Um, and by tracking like the index fund, it has like all of these companies in losers and winners. Right. But generally the economy, the total market, whether that's international emerging, the United States, um, you would hope that everything is on a positive trend. And so mm-hmm. that if you're tracking an index, you're going to get positive growth in the long run. Yeah. So, so mostly it's to be a little more risk adverse, would you say? Yeah, I think, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Cause then essentially you can also pick your own companies, right? I think Andrew can go into this, like there's specific companies he probably likes a lot and he'll, he doesn't see them like losing that horse race or like not, at least maybe not losing or maybe not coming in first, but at least the top three horses, right? Yeah. Yeah. Feel free. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about my my exposure to index funds and ETFs because I think my first book about investing was from John C. Bowl, the guy who oh. started Vanguard, right? And so yeah. um, my exposure was straight up from the guy who started telling everyone to buy ETFs and index <laughs> attract indexes. So um, that is to say, I don't I don't I don't think I view my investing um, strategies in that way. Um, but it did was the actual catalyst as to me uh, as to um, how I started investing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one of the first conversations I had with my brother-in-law about investing was like about Warren Buffett saying for his wife, if he ever passes early before her, um, he would want 80% of his um, estate allocation for her to be in the S&P 500 and 20% in treasury bonds. And I was thinking to myself, like, man, this guy, someone who is obviously a very well, uh, a world-renowned investor, um, probably the last past uh, couple of decades, the, you know, head honcho, right? Everyone looks to him as yeah. the guy who who knows how to invest properly over over time. Um, mm-hmm. Is doing that for his wife, you know? What? Why wouldn't we take that strategy? And I think another thing he also said was. The average American should just, uh, you know, park their money in the S and P five hundred and forget about it, and just let that grow and bet on the American economy. Mm-hmm. So I think my view is that if you do track indexes, you're generally betting that the American economy will succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, as people who live in North America, I think generally we should we should bet that way. You know, <laughs> um, got some domestic bi- uh, bias. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you? So what do you think about the fact that? Um, it might be a little too conservative because like this is Warren Buffett who's like 90 or 80. Yeah. 80, 90, and then he's telling his wife who's also 80 or 90 to do <laughs> that kind of <laughs> investing style. Do you think me old? <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think he remarried. But that's, just, that's like not a, that's a separate point. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, do you think people our age should be kind of getting into index funds because it's simpler or is it because it's safer? I think there is validity to protecting your assets, right? I think Derek was saying how it's risk aversion, but I think risk aversion sounds like 
you're scared, but I mm-hmm. think protecting your wealth is actually a better term. I think, and I True. think Derek would probably agree it's a better way to describe his investing pattern. Mm-hmm, um, right. And so for me, um, I personally don't feel a big need as of right now to do that. So I <clears throat> buy into more actively managed ETFs that target high growth. Um, tech stocks, we'll probably talk about that in a bit. And I pick individual stocks. Mm-hmm. Primarily because I feel like the exposure I have to um, the individual stocks isn't too big of a risk for me, given that I don't manage a huge amount of money. And mm-hmm. so yeah, what, so you're saying just because we don't manage too much money, we don't really need yeah. to protect it. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> yeah, because I was gonna jump on that same train with Kevin and say like. Uh, for me, my, my style of investing is building the good habits now so that yeah. you can carry that on when your portfolio grows. And and because we're so new, it's like all about accumulating right now. And so it's still important to consider that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I I think the way I phrased it, and probably to some extent the way I actually view it, is yeah. that way. <laughs> um, but also consider that if your goal is to grow your wealth, you can also take that into some of partly into your hands, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, passive index uh, investing isn't so much that you are controlling the way that your assets are moving. You're betting on the American economy, like I said. So mm-hmm. in the long but, run, it will yeah. pay off. But I don't believe that you personally are making any decision to make your assets grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about like, um, like, so we all started our jobs, right? I don't know about Canada, but we, we, in the US, we all get a 401k. So are you saying we should manage our 401k passively or manually? <laughs> this is not investment. <laughs> so I'll, I'll tell you right now, um, I don't, I'm not giving any financial advice, yeah, right? yeah. but this is my opinion on it. Yeah. Um, we don't have a 401k. I think the, uh, is that the post-tax? Return pre-tax, about? pre-tax. Pre-tax, okay. Yeah. So our equivalent up here is RRS, RRSP. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's called Registered Retirement Savings Plan. Um, and at least for the one that I have, mm-hmm. my company, it's through my company. And so um, the, I don't know if it's like, I think it's a retirement plan company yeah. doesn't allow you to indiv- individually select or manage your mm-hmm. funds. So you have like yeah. a pattern of something more aggressive, a little more passive, more safe. Yeah. Uh, so I don't but, really have. Yeah. But so wouldn't you say like, it makes sense in some situations to be more passive. So like with a retirement fund, since like, we're not looking at it for like until we're 65, right? Cause that's like one of the rules. It's better to kind of leave it to be kind of passive. Yeah. Because you're not pulling out because obviously there's like tax consequences. Mm-hmm. I think you have a different goal in mind, right? Yeah. Um, I, but at the same time, it's, it's hard to say. I'm also learning, right? Yeah. Um, but personally for my, my tax sheltered accounts, mm-hmm. I do not, uh, change my investing patterns. So I'm yeah. still buying the same things in my individual account. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you guys don't know me, I'm pretty aggressive in terms of like investing. So yeah, like, I'm just person. playing devil's advocate right now. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I am way more extreme than Andrew in terms of investing. So like, so like, I it like, it's a competition. No, 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 no. <laughs> like that. But it's just like, um, like for me, index funds do make sense in some occasions. Like we kind of brought up like in retirement funds, it definitely makes sense because we're not touching it. 
But for me, when I'm doing my individual investing, I kind of like to take it into my own hands, right? So I will pick stocks and I'll, I'll try to pick my winners because I actually believe in these companies. And that's the other right. thing, right? When you're investing, you kind of want to believe that they'll succeed. Yeah. And I mean, it's a lot about like having faith in yourself to pick out these companies and also just doing your own research. Like we kind of talked about that earlier. Like don't take our advice as like the the commandments. Like we, we're just giving our opinion on like what we, we think about things, right? I was going to say that uh, I don't even think people follow commandments pretty strictly. <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> true. I probably don't even know all my commandments. There's only 10. Actually, no, well, I, mean, I mean, depending on your faith tradition. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. But also, to touch on Andrew's point, there, I mean, there's indexes that track international and emerging markets, right, not in the U.S. So you're not just betting on the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm, you, right. you can bet on, like, other economies, I guess, yeah. the world. And then, yeah. like, okay, so then that goes with my other gripe about indexes, right? So, like, what what about, like, the failing companies in the index? So, like, if we're picking up the top 500 companies, not all 500 are good companies, right? Right, but the same argument can be made for you. Like, not all stocks you pick are going to, like, like, you might believe it's good, but Andrew might be like, oh, that's trash. And then, like... It has happened. Yeah, that's happened. <laughs> exactly. But that's, like, that's part of the conversation, right? But that's part of the conversation as with the index as well i mean like you have winners and losers well all s&p 500 indexes have to do all 500 right companies right i guess i guess the thing that i see that makes sense with individual is if you feel you have a good understanding of how a business works what constitutes a successful business and Mm -hmm. that you're basically using the s&p as a guideline and that you're handpicking again like if you went to like the grocery market they already picked out some apples that look nice sure. but you're going in there and you're handpicking those apples to bring home because you're like i don't trust example. i'm not just gonna randomly <laughs> grab example. all those apples i'm like i know some of them got bruises yo my asian mom be hitting those watermelons yes <laughs> <laughs> exactly so th- i think to me that that's what is attractive about individual investing. Mm-hmm. Um, but personally, because I'm just so new to yeah. investing, I don't feel I have that confidence yet. Yeah. And so like, if I were to have like 100% of my money that I want to invest in, mm-hmm. I would at most do like 10%, maybe mm-hmm. even 5% of that money into individual stock picking. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I'm not confident at this yeah. stage with doing that. Yeah. So, you, so you can't pick the, the non-bruised apples? Yeah, I got to go, go with my mom to the grocery store a couple it's more times. It's wholesale price, right? It's wholesale price. <laughs> it's true. Oh, yeah, you do get, you do pay less to get in the entire index. You pay a premium. Yeah. Um. So what about, like, stuff where you can make your own index? Would you ever consider stuff like that? So, like, um, like M1 Finance. You can kind of get a collection of mm. of stocks that you believe – are good companies and then it'll allocate it individually would you ever do something like that Derek? right i think that's a conversation that i literally continuously have in my head because it goes to the idea of dumb money smart money like mm-hmm. how how much do i trust myself as like a retail investor to create a portfolio that either hasn't been created already or is one that better suits my understanding of the world and who's to say my understanding of the world is 
the better one, right? True. Um, because that's basically what all these, you know, ETFs or actively managed funds, it's their view of the world. It's their view of what's going to be successful. And they're always trying to beat the market. Um, and so personally, I'm just trying to see if I can match the market with the way I understand things and get mm-hmm. the market returns. Because frankly, it's not a bad return in compared to just holding all your money in cash. Um, so it's already a step up from what, you know, my life would have been if I never came across investing. True. So I just want to, you know, take one things at a time. I just want to develop a strong base of, I got this down lock and key. I understand index investing like fully and in-depthly. I know mm-hmm. why it works and why it's not working, how I can balance my portfolio better versus asset allocation. And then once I, once I feel I have that kind of basis and, you know, kind of from that, you know, in these calls, I know you guys are big on individuals. So I'm trying to learn as much um, mm-hmm. from you guys of what you guys see in value um, in the company. And I also listen to podcasts, read books, and trying to build up kind of this prior knowledge, this base foundation for me deciding if individual value picks, growth pick, mo- momentum picks, um, if I can pick those two, uh, rather than just kind of listening and then be like, oh, that makes sense. Okay, let me just hop on that bandwagon. Yeah. Um, whereas like, I'm I'm convicted. This is my pick, and like other people will disagree, but it's like I I literally picked this yeah. because I I believe in it, mm-hmm. and yeah. and I I just feel like I'm not at that point right now. Mm-hmm. So to to be in the market, I just choose index investing as a way to like grow my money while it's buying me time and opportunity to still learn because I feel like I'm still young. So yeah. it's like there's no no rush for me to get rich quick or anything. So I I'm just gonna take it steadily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what about you, Andrew? Why do you not want to take it steady? <laughs> you read, I'm so surprised because you said you read the Vogel book. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> and you like everything he said in that book because I read that okay. book too. Yeah. And you like disregarded everything. Okay. Well, I, I think there's there's a couple there's a couple of things there's a couple of things. I think one thing is um, Warren Buffett, although he is you know someone who had told it you know said he's gonna for his wife's um, his own estate allocation for his wife going to go 80% S&P 500. Um, He's also quoted to say that diversification doesn't make any sense for someone who knows what they're doing. He has said that. Okay. I I heard that same (laughs) quote. Yeah. But it was like more in the terms of like, if you know a lot about a sector or you know a lot about a topic, then yes, it doesn't make sense to diversify. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'm just calling it out as like, we should humble ourselves. Yeah, no, you're right. You're pretty new. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who is to say you know all there is to know about picking a tech stock? Oh, no, you're for, for sure, for sure. And mm-hmm. I, I I completely agree with that. Yeah, I, I think one of the leverages that we have is that we studied STEM. And that is saying that, like, that makes us, you know, good business analysts for, for tech stocks. But I think in terms yeah. of our exposure to technologies, I think it's pretty high compared to the average person. I would say that's my opinion. And I think because of that, and also my general interest in that space, it allows me to spend a lot more time um, looking at a company and seeing, um, you know, whether it is worthwhile for me to own a stake in it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I agree. Like, I'm probably going to be wrong a lot, you know, I, and I think I just have to admit that. But I think that's not to say that, you know, like money is something to play with and you can learn while losing money. But I think if I don't get started in a certain, a certain amount, I think I'll never be um, invested enough into learning about it. If you Mm -hmm. know what I'm saying. 
Okay, something to just go back and try to like be a devil's advocate for everything you say, Andrew, yeah. is that you know a lot about tech, right? And and because you mentioned that you have a lot of exposure to that, if you feel like you have a better understanding of the timeline, the horizon for the growth and the, the interest for that field. But that at the same time, by admitting that, you're saying for the other sectors that are available in the stock market, we don't really know a lot about. And if you're individually picking your stocks, your your portfolio is probably tech heavy. For and, sure. And in my opinion, I don't think tech is going to dominate you know, for the next 10 years, like t- can't dominate 10 years straight. Right. I mean, so well, you're kind of, let me, you're let me, losing me, out on that exposure. Sorry, let me, let me, add, let me add on to that and also counter that at the same time. So, okay. The, so with tech, I've like, we've talked about this before. I think tech is a very broad term that we should kind of like true, 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 true. stop using when we're talking about <laughs> these kind of things, because every company is going to be using tech. Tech is going to be in every field, healthcare, um, manufacturing, all of that. And so it's like, in regardless of whatever you're talking about, tech is going to be involved. So tech is going to take over. That's 100%. Um, right. I see. Yeah. So then the other thing is that Andrew's talked about how our tech background kind of helps. I disagree with that because we're like, we're straight out of college. Like we we're Gen Z. We know nothing. Everything was established before we got here. So True. The thing that we do know is that we are Gen Z, so we're Zoomers. We do know what our generation likes and what our generation sees as the future because we're living mm-hmm. in it and we have people who are our peers who are living out their lives in this and we can kind of see the trends before like investors because the big investors are like a lot older. They're like 40 or 50. Right. They don't see like they're boomers, like Zoomers versus boomers, right? So like... <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't see what we see right like we probably saw tiktok before they did we can probably see a tiktok trend about like lululemon before they could or like we could see like a new trend like way before they would like a lot of us were on like the tesla hype train way before wall street was that's a big example yeah i think that's a big example so like we I mean, we, we have i think that's where we have the biggest um but couldn't advantage. you make the case that where they saw some stuff that we completely didn't see just from their like, like immense experience? Yes, that's true. But then if you're like like Andrew and I are talking about, like we're investing for like the long term, right? Like way, way out. Like it's hard for them to imagine things the way we personally imagine our future to be like. You know what I mean? I see. But how do you like I think I think to Derek's point though is like like How they were you young at one point doing the same thing. <laughs> That's true, but like different things were changing at their time, right? It's like the big thing for the boomer generation was the internet, right? I guess. That might not have been what Andrew wanted to say, but it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. But I mean it's a good point. It is a good point. Um what I was trying to get at is this I think the difficult part, and I think the part where I'm still learning a lot and I'm constantly having to go back to um, you know, different sources is how do you tie that to a number, right? Talking about valuation, because even if you know you 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 like a company, you think it's good, you mm-hmm. you looked looked through, looked at it, doesn't mean that valuation is justified, right? So I think that is part of the equation, right? It, but then that that goes to the fact that is valuation important? Yeah, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I I was watching a video about um, the dot com bubble in two thousand, right? Mm-hmm. And we were we were so young. We were like what three, two years old. Yeah, we weren't like basically um, cognitive. <laughs> um 
it basically said that it would take someone who had invested at the peak of Amazon in the 2000 era bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, it would take them. It was 10 I, years, I, I think, or 10, yeah, or 10 years for them to get back to the levels that they invested in at the peak. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, when I hear that, I feel like that's kind of worrisome, right? Like you. Can't, so what, what, what was the average over 20 years? That's the next question, right? Sorry. What was the average over the next 20 years? Right. But I guess what I'm trying oh, what, to what, get... what was it? What was it? Answer it. What was it? <laughs> I don't, I don't know the quite it number. Like, but it, it was like 4,000%. Right. But let's think about this. Amazon in 2000 was almost next to nothing, right? Like yeah. we, it was definitely not the, the business it is today. Yeah. But yeah. some people saw that coming, right? I don't think anyone saw it as a cloud. St- if you, if you told me that someone saw it as a cloud storage company, I would honestly give them like, I don't even want to give them. Well, they even, deserve a cookie <laughs> like a brownie, man. Well, okay. The cloud side of Amazon is only about like, at this point, it's maybe... Um, three eighths, three eighths to four, like to half. So like thirty-seven to fifty percent of right. It's almost fifty percent of their business. Almost, though, right? almost. But that's like twenty years later. But like the the marketplace was like already popping, right? Yeah. I mean, just just to wrap up that thought, I guess yeah. what I'm trying to get at is that it's difficult to if you do individually. Uh, I'm sorry, pick individual stocks. It is hard to find the right valuations, buy at the right price. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just. That's just given. But like, like that goes back to like, does it matter if you get it at the right price? Like if you got Amazon back in 2000, right now you're sitting pretty, pretty. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know if you would. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. But I mean, it still goes to so- shit. Like you could. Well, like Boeing. Bo- Boeing did really well too. But I'm not sitting pretty now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what I'm trying to get at is that it's it still matters. You know, you could you could have your portfolio grow by a significant amount if you bought it after the huge spike, right? Like that yeah, yeah. that does affect your portfolio if it's a huge, um, you know. Percentage. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like, does valuation matter? That's my main question there. Yeah, right? it does. It does. It of course, it matters. It doesn't. What what's 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 four thousand percent versus four thousand two hundred percent? Hold up. I think I think the number that number is probably not uh, incredibly accurate, but I think. It does matter because I see what Kevin's trying to say. Yeah. But you also, you're getting an example of Amazon, which is probably like arguably one of the better, more better performing stocks. Yeah. Yeah. There's probably other stocks. Amazon's return is 60,000% in the last 20 years. But these are like the the primes. Yeah. Yeah. Look up Cisco. Look up Cisco. Okay. Cisco never recovered. Cisco never recovered. That's a bad example. But there's probably many like that. Like, I feel like, I feel like this is just like a high school dropout. Like, like no, no, you so hear of the successful ones, but there's probably a lot of ones that you know. No, but then like valuation still wouldn't matter there, right? Because then you would have bought Cisco at one point, and it just never grew. It's the same thing; it just never grew. I, I don't like, know. If, if, if you talk about it in the long run, it doesn't matter. But if you you're really that Cisco never got back to its original levels, right? I I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, so that's what. I, so it doesn't matter. Kevin Kevin's saying if you you pick a stock. You should really believe in it, and you're picking it not for its current valuations, but for its projected. And and yeah. Andrew, you argue yeah. that point a lot too. Yeah, no, I agree, but it's to a certain extent. It, you know, like it's you can't say I that know. okay, like GameStop was at what five hundred, and, and you saw that like yeah, I believe in it in the, the fifty years from now. Mm-hmm. Like no one's gonna. That's not yeah. sound. Right? Well, yeah, yeah. But then like we're I'm talking about the long term trades, right? Because we're talking about ETF. We're comparing it to ETS. Oh right. Where okay. you're holding it for a long time. Okay, so I, I would say for the sake of this conversation around ETFs, yeah, I think yes, I agree with you, Kevin. But yeah. 
you know and I know and Derek yeah, knows. Yeah, we, we, we know price matters when we're trying to trade. But when we're investing, it's different, right? I see. Yeah, yeah, dollar cost average, all that stuff. No, no, investing. It's investing. Yeah, you can always dollar cost average. Yeah, 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 but, but what you were talking about before was trading because we're just trying to no, trade. No, 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 no. It's not about trading. <laughs> we'll, we'll have that conversation <laughs> offline. But I, I, I genuinely... <laughs> you traded. you up. No, I, I think... I think Buying in at buying in at the right price does matter to some extent, right? Otherwise, hedge funds, which is buy whenever, right? They you do. Know, Ark, Ark invest Ark buys buy every day. Ark yeah, buys they, every day. They also sell every day, right? So yeah, can I, well, that's because they're rebalancing. Like they're something saying. something that could actually help that conversation in terms of buying and not is once you kind of come up with your asset allocation and you you stick with it, right? Mm-hmm. It will kind of naturally make you shy away from buying overly valued stocks, right? Like we yes. saw that example in in Arc when Tesla was way above their you know allocated percentage. So yeah. then, because of that, they're Basically. not buying into Tesla anymore. They're they're mm-hmm. either selling it or they're buying more of things that are cheaper now. Yeah, and and that itself is is important topic I think because it's like once you know your asset allocation, like this is an asset allocation that makes sense for me. Then and you stick to it like tried and true. You believe in that asset allocation, whether that's picked out individually throughout index funds. Then no matter what, um, you're kind of already protecting yourselves from being that guy that mm-hmm. buys in at the top. And and another thing that should be brought up into the conversation is dollar cost averaging. Right? It's not like no one, I think, in my opinion, should t- time or try to time the market. Um, it's about dollar cost averaging in terms of like being in the market consistently, not like oh, today is a great day to buy. And then tomorrow, because you, you, honestly, who's to say today's a red day, tomorrow's a green day. Like today gonna, it was a big or red, just buy day, on every red day. Or just buy on every red day. Buy on every red day. Yeah, I'm going to counter that, that statement because I think okay. for passive index investing, I think that's right. I don't think it matters when you buy generally. Yeah. Right? But no. I think for in, for individual stocks, especially for volatile stocks, it does matter when you're buying. It depends. Right? Well, it, that depends too. Like what do you consider volatile sp- stocks? Like are you talking about like Reddit stocks? Or are you talking about like, no, I'm saying like stocks that, I'm, so, I'm yeah. telling like stocks that are installed in the S and P 500. I mean, like it just got included by Tesla, right? Like, yeah, yeah, no, but you can. It does matter. Yeah, but some people average into that, like Derek said. Right, like, right, right. But I'm saying that like it does matter to some extent when you're buying, right? For us to say that it doesn't matter, I think overlooks a whole bunch of the actual tactics that hedge funds have, and yeah, yeah. and like you know, it, it it overlooks basically what everyone else does. But technically, it shouldn't if you believe it in the next like long term twenty years or whatever. Yeah, no, I there, agree. Yeah, yeah. there yeah, are yeah. probably extreme sure. cases that we can argue to, to to defend it, but generally, that is true. I yeah. agree. Too. Okay, because okay like, that. I th- well, it also it's a good mindset to have just because like if your stock goes up, you and you still believe it's a great company and it's like the only thing you can buy that month, you should still buy it. There's no reason not yeah. to buy it. Like I mean, what, what about? Like, what about Square today? It tanked. It's a pretty good stock still. Like, why would you not buy it? I mean, is that a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably only to you, well, Andrew. I, I don't... Well, I did. It's, it's, I, I, oh, you I mean, did? I did. Yeah. It, and, no, and the thing is, like, it's still more expensive than what you bought it for, right? But you still bought it. Well, not not today's not today's buy because it tanked after hours. But I mean, still, it no, didn't today, matter for but me. Today it was two forty after hours. It it, it dropped by five percent or six percent. Yeah, 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 no, no, yeah, yeah. It was two forty, but then you bought it originally for two hundred. 
So you saw oh, I, know I added on. I added on today. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But your, yeah. your original buy was at 200. Right, right, right. And then now you bought it for more at 240. Also, these numbers are coming up, but how about we stay away from numbers? Oh, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. For clarity's <laughs> sake. <laughs> I just have to give an example. But like, I'm, what I'm saying is that you're, you're still paying more for it. But you don't really yeah. care, right? Because it's still a yeah, great yeah. company. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but it, yeah. it, it Same be... goes for. Sorry, go ahead, Andrew. Oh, I was just gonna say, just last point is, it was a red day. I'm but not was, buying, but it was still I'm more not... expensive. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's true, but it's still yeah, a red yeah. day, right? It's still lower than but, it was the last past couple of weeks. But it, it was still more expensive. It's still regardless, right? Is it more expensive? Well, I mean, Kevin, to prove that point, I mean, yeah, okay. That that's like because like in index investing, that's the same thing. Like because yeah. the index we're we're in record highs territories, like we're breaking highs, like like the investments that you threw in in December, there's you can't get that price now. So mm-hmm. obviously, and you're still dollar cost averaging into it no matter what, even yeah. though the price is higher. Um. So yeah, I mean yeah. that trickles down because that's true. Then all the individual companies within that kind of display the same kind mm-hmm. of trend as well. Yeah, I think that's the main thing I'm trying to get across. Like it's. Like my the way I probably put it was probably like too over. Bare, or, I think yeah, I think you put it so extreme that yeah. Kevin, uh, Andrew and I felt that we needed to defend just the yeah. sanity of of the idea yeah. that if a stock was like you know that it could go up to twenty dollars, but you're not sure it could go up to like fifty dollars, but right now it's trading at fifty dollars. Is you might be hesitant as to you know yeah, yeah, you should yeah, put yeah, your money yeah, down yeah. on that. But yeah, yeah, but. Like in the long run, if it's a good company, you should continue to invest in that company. If you are picking companies individually. Right. And I think that that comes into, this is why investing is hard, right? Because each of us will have our own ticker of or an alarm system that goes up that says, oh, I think that valuation is kind of extreme. I'm not going to touch it. Or it sounds like, well, I think it's still a value and it can still gain more value. And so some might invest during that day and some might say, oh, I'm going to put my money somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, one of my, my dad's friend that I told you was, uh, used to be a day trader. He tells mm-hmm. me that ever um, after he basically stopped day trading, but after when he was buying um, a certain equity, he would do, you know, fundamental analysis, right? Looking at the financials, the income statement, um, their moat, all that stuff. And then after that, when he was actually ready to buy, he would chart. So, Chart. That's one thing, right? So like charting is basically looking at um, the price patterns. So buying, uh, buying, and, sell, uh, buying and selling mm-hmm. patterns. And oh, then like, it's, looking it's, at... Yeah, it's technical analysis. Yeah, technical analysis. Like looking at um, different indexes there are with like... It's mathematical actually. So there is... Uh, not some, really. Wait, hold yeah, up. Yeah, there is. RSI, uh, MACD, MACD are based on are based on actual math functions, right? So yeah, math function. Well, it's, it's statistics. It is statistics, right? It's statistics. statistics isn't. There's a lot of people that argue that statistics is not real math. So if you say it's statistics, it's also all not right. Real. But you're not. I know you're not going to argue that with me. Well, I do argue that because I don't. <laughs> I no no. The thing is, like, I the only reason I believe technical analysis works is because people believe in technical analysis. If it wasn't a thing, or if people didn't believe in it, it wouldn't work because the math in it is just like. It's just like you're you're trying to guess, and it's just like there there's a bunch of moving averages, and you're just like trying to average it out, and you're drawing fake support lines. Let me just say but that people believe in these support lines, so then it works. Kevin, so I'm just let me saying. just say that the best performing mutual fund, or I guess it's not mutual fund, but fund in the last yeah. past since like the '80s has been an algo based 
Yes, point. I understand. I understand. So about, I would if, say that statistics does work, right? Yeah. Well, what if Ark beats it? I, I'm pretty sure Ark also charts a little bit with their, their traders. I'm pretty sure. Uh, they they haven't talked about technical analysis. I don't think they would because it's not in the you know investors' favor. Like, what would they tell them, right? Like, I but I do know that if you look on Ark's um team, you'll see that there are traders on their team. So yeah. I'm pretty sure they're. I wouldn't be. I'll be very surprised if they didn't well, do any charting at all. No, no. Like I said, it's because people believe in it that I will do it. I think because people believe in it, Ark will do it. But it's just like I I don't know if it's like well I it's like it doesn't not real math okay so okay regardless of what, the, what regardless <laughs> of if they're theoretically you think it's real or not i think we can all here agree that people do it and it works to some extent right because other people believe in it but yes yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah <laughs> but there, i don't know if you're too familiar with like technical analysis but um um no Yep, I'm the newbie investor. I mean, it's not, it's not, that's not so much investing that it is like um, people in the day trading space. But anyways, it's a method going back, of analysis. Going back to my going it's back like to what I was sharing gotcha. was that yeah. my dad's um, friend said that he would do basically fundamental fundamental analysis, and when it comes to time to buy, he would do technical analysis, right? Mm-hmm. And so, based on that, and a, you know, a couple other things, he would um, you know macroeconomic situations, he would basically buys it at a certain price. That's that's just what I was trying to get at, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, the man has beat the market every single year since he's been investing, right? Mm-hmm. He's in his sixties or seventies. Yeah. So. Do you think he would ever lie about that record? No, he's. I would say one of the things that reason why I was looking looking towards him was because not only is he a super savvy investor, but he is a very like fundam not fundamental. Maybe it's the wrong word, but very strong and honest Christian. Like I think for me, that's like I really respect that because. Yeah. I find it's hard in this space to be able to do that and all, like beat the market every year and also do yeah. that. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You do something shady. I'm just gonna say like something gambling. <laughs> ask for his financials. I'm not gonna ask for his numbers. <laughs> Yo. Dude, that's disrespectful. It's not. If he says that, technically, <laughs> you gotta prove it. I was trying to call him out. <laughs> no, I'm not. But like, like Andrew. Okay. Like the I, only I, reason. Yeah. You know, I'm bagging on technical analysis, but I do the, do the same. <laughs> like i said it's because people believe in it that i do it because like if people it's like a if people didn't believe in these support lines and all of that and like the rsis i think stocks just move however like the people believe it to move and since so many people believe it should move with like this technical analysis it does move with technical analysis so that's my opinion on it but i do use it because it's helpful sometimes but that's, that's, it. that's, that's like it. um but that's we what believe that brushing our teeth equates to wider teeth so we brush our teeth and we have wider teeth no 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 it's not the same it's like <laughs> it's like um it's like a cult so like if everyone believes in the cult <laughs> then the cult is not a cult anymore it becomes a religion the earth is flat yeah and then you get the flat earth. <laughs> it's like it's like that right yeah I it's see. like well, well it's like some would argue that we are a cult, like most of society who thinks that yeah, yeah. science is real. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's all um, that stuff. Yeah, I see. I guess um, the only thing, the reason why I said that, Andrew, was because the, a lot of, like in, in uh, you know, Bogle's book, he talks about how 
in the long term, if you're investing in the long term, many hedge fund managers over. So the, the study that was done was like, you take 100% hedge fund managers of those who will outperform the market in the next 10 years. It's only 5%. And then of the 5% that perform, who who is going to outperform in the next 10 years after that? Of the 5%, if you make that 100% now, of them, only 5% of they also outperform. And so in that study, it's basically saying that like, who are you to say you know the right, you know, manager, you know, hedge fund manager that is going to be the top of the top and outperform consistently. And so that's why to me, it's always really skeptical to hear anyone say that like, I've literally been in the market, you know, for 30 years straight. Cause it's like, I don't even think Ray Dalio has been in the market 30 years straight. And I don't think Warren Buffett has also yeah, been in the market Buffett 30 years straight. Not. So it's there's... like, there's like, eh, what do you mean? <laughs> I think there's requirements for people who are hedge fund managers that you and I probably don't have to, or you and I don't have to follow, right? Because hedge fund managers aren't just managing their own assets, they're managing other people's assets, and there's laws and regulations that come with that. So you're saying that's why they can't beat the market? No, 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 no. I'm just saying that there's, <laughs> there's a limitation to what they can actually allocate in their their portfolio, right? Yeah. I, I, that's just what I'm trying to get at. But also another thing is, isn't it fishy to you, Derek, that the man who basically started this whole movement of passive index investing with his company made a book about it and told mm-hmm. you to buy into it? Isn't that kind of fishy? Just a little bit? But I don't even use Vanguard. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you, but the Vanguard fund is used by a lot of companies. Like iShares probably reference it. Fidelity, but that's like okay. Me. I've always questioned this too. That's like this entire stock market thing. Whoever created the stock market thing? Technically, the stock market is supposed to be like free to choose what price it wants for anything. But that doesn't happen. Okay, isn't that fishy? Isn't this all a scheme? No, but okay. But like, <laughs> I <could> just... <laughs> Maybe we should go now while we're ahead. Yeah, this is truly entertainment, man. <laughs> But oh, I guess one point that I learned that I really want, I think, to share and for us to really like push each other on is, um, I I was listening to this podcast the other day and they brought up points of how to carry out your thinking when you're looking at investments and you I I translated this to like life, and basically one of it is fundamental principles and it's like the importance of when you're looking and you're facing a problem that is of great magnitude that you really ask so many why questions so that you break it down to the fundamental principle of why you're doing it or why this you know advice works or why is it even here and i think Mm -hmm. that's a great space for this i think this podcast this like opportunity for us three to get on this call and just to talk about this is ultimately digging down each other to our fundamental principles and understanding Mm -hmm. why. The second thing from that is thinking in orders, thinking in first order, second order, third order. And so like being like, I guess it's like very engineering techie, but like when you have an issue, right, you think about what's the immediate impact. Okay. But what can that impact might lead to? So that's the second order. And then thinking to the third order, right? And an example with that would be the coronavirus. First impact, people are going to panic. The stock market is going to drop. You would sell if you only based your you know, life on the first order. But the second order is like, okay, in a coronavirus, 
people are going to be home a lot, right? So what are they going to do? Oh, they might use like Zoom for meetings now or stuff. And then you might start thinking, you know, in a different mindset of, oh, let's not panic based on our first order discovery, but let's think about second order, third order magnitudes that could, you know, change this outcome. Mm -hmm. And so I really love, love this space that we have is because I think we do both of that. I think we do, we question each other on why we do things down to the root. And then we also keep asking like, well, what if this happens? Well, this might happen. And so I think this is something that just to throw it out there that, you know, I think we should continue doing. And so putting a name on what it is, I think that we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I, I, had, I had someone message me today about something similar. It's not, it's not fundamental principles, but it's called first principles and okay. talks about how um, basically very genius thinkers like Elon Musk, how they think about things and problems uh, and that they're trying to tackle. And okay. um, it's kind of similar. I'll share it after this, this call. But, yeah, it's an interesting uh, thought. Can you share what first principle means? Yeah, so, so one of the criticisms that the article brought up was that we're brought up to, instead of to think through this thing called first principles, we're, we're taught to think through analogy. So oftentimes when we face something that we're not familiar with or we're kind of familiar with, we try to liken it to something similar that we're familiar with. And yeah. the, the problem with that is that when it comes to solutions to those problems, we're not creative, we're not inventive, and we're not innovative, right? And so... Mm -hmm. Basically, the, the article was saying that people like Elon Musk, they're able to tackle these like crazy problems, right? With yeah. like actually working solutions that are innovative because they don't address them through analogy. Mm -hmm. right? I see. And I was just like, wow, well, it's like really weird. But then I started thinking about it and I was like, dude, when we went to school, almost most, most of the time, they didn't teach us to think that way. For most part, they're teaching us to address it through what we know. And yeah. that produces really good workers, but it doesn't produce really good thinkers and innovators, mm -hmm. right? Right. Then, I'm a strong believer of that too, of like school system doesn't right. really teach us to be like the best for ourselves. Yeah. So I told, I told my, my friend, um, I was like, yo, I'm going to experiment on my kids and I'm going to teach them to think this way. It's already kind of too late for me, right? It's really hard to deconstruct your thinking pattern. You should try to do. I don't think it's too late. Yeah, I don't think if it's you, too late. If you say this, some, some of your elders are going to be like, smack, mm. smack. Dude, you're only, you're only 20 years old, dude. We are at the beginning. Of... Oh, okay. Hold up. We're at the beginning of our journey. This is our first episode. So let's wrap it up here. Yeah. Andrew will be able to think in first principle at some point, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for hopping on our podcast. And we're signing off. Oh, remember to follow us on Spotify and wherever we decide to uh, post our <laughs> podcast in the future. But yeah, signing Tell off. You lower your <laughs> oh, yeah. Derek can do that. <laughs> yeah. Sick. Nice. Nice outro, Kevin. Thank you.